Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Amateur Gourmet Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Roberts, the Amateur Gourmet. And just a month and a half from now, about six weeks from now, on October 4th, a cookbook that I've been working on with my friend Gideon Glick for almost two years called Give My Swiss Shards to Broadway, which is filled with recipes based on Broadway shows, is coming out. And so this week, I decided to invite Gideon on the podcast so we could talk all about our process, how we came up with this book, how we sold it, how we wrote it, and our hopes and dreams for it. Plus, I wanted to ask Gideon about his childhood, how he got into theater, etc., etc. If you don't know, if you're not a Broadway fan, Gideon is an incredible actor, incredible singer. I first saw him in Spring Awakening, which is one of the more popular musicals of the past 20 years. Um, I've also seen him in plays like Significant Other, and I've seen him on TV and various shows. He's super talented, um, and we are so, so excited about our book. So before we get to the episode, I just want to let you know that if you pre-order this book now, not only does it guarantee that it will show up on your doorstep right when the book comes out, but it also helps us raise our profile. It helps us sell more books. So please, if you are at all interested in a Broadway cookbook, go right now online and order your copy of Give My Swiss Shards to Broadway. All right. Well, without further ado, here is my conversation with Gideon Glick. All right, Gideon. Well, we are um, finally in possession. Well, you're in possession of our brand new cookbook, and I'm so jealous. I am. I got it yesterday. That was, good, that was good timing for the podcast. I know. And um, for those who are only listening and not looking, it's a shiny, beautiful hardcover cookbook called Give My Swiss Shards to Broadway. And can you describe it for those of us who haven't received it yet? Um, yes, it has a beautiful, like, gloss slash um, shine on the Give My Swiss Charge of Broadway. We have wonderful illustrations by Justin Squiggs Robertson on the top. Mm-hmm. Um, some advanced praise on the back that has like a little, uh, it's beautifully framed. Um, I'm so excited that it's shiny. Oh, and it has like a like kind of a rainbow on the side, yeah. like with where the, where the pages are. It's so a beautiful. Little, a little discreet rainbow flag. It's really cool. Our, it's um, going to be a great... Yes, I think. Yeah. Extraordinary. Uh, yes, I think it is a really good gift. It's a and it's very family family friendly, which I'm 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 very excited about. Well, before this turns into QVC, I feel like we should <laughs> uh, <clears throat> just jump right into the history of our friendship and the genesis of this Broadway cookbook. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe we'll start with the cookbook and then go back a little. Um, but what what is your memory of how this all started? Because I have my memory, but I'm curious what yours is. So my memory is I was bored one day on Twitter and I started tweeting about the idea of a book following a pizza slice named Bernadette Pizza. <laughs> and then yes. um, and then started riffing on it and people would join and we started talking about like Bacon Lane and these kind of um, uh, food oriented names. Um, uh, for Broadway celebrities, and this is during the during the pandemic. And then we started riffing and then we started talking about the idea of a, of a kid's book that followed um, these celebrities. And then naturally it went into, oh, why don't we do a, a Broadway themed cookbook? Yeah. And I think the my favorite part of this whole experience, I mean, there were so many favorite parts, I mean, including like actually working on it, but in terms of the genesis there was like a month where you and I were just texting each other puns on Broadway shows and it was yeah. so much fun. And we, we, we came up with like, 
I would say like over a hundred, right? Because the rest the book book has fifty recipes. Yeah. But we came up with so many, and then we had to cull them down. Yeah. Um, do you remember the first one we came up with? Was it Sunday in the Pork with George? I feel like that was the first, but maybe it was something else. But I mean, we came up with um, I'm like, I should look at the table of contents, but I feel like we were cracking each other up pretty early on. Book of Marmalade, Muesli Man, Yokohama, that was yours. Little right, Chop right, of Horrors, right. Three Penne Opera, that was definitely oh, yours. I love Three Penne Opera. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, which one are you most proud of? Um, it's a good question. I mean, like Three Penne Opera, I think is very funny. I like it when it's short and sweet. Um, yeah. Something like Chicken Breast Side Story, I also oh, yeah. think is, is really fun and silly just because it it's really evocative of the name and it's just like a little bit of a twist. And it's um, I think it, it it makes me smile. So I'm trying to think like, so we we were kind of bandying back and forth, but I think the key moment was me saying I might maybe I'll just like mention this to like my literary agent um, to see if, what she thinks, because I at the, up until that point, I think we were just sort of like amusing each other and yeah. thinking it was funny. And then to our surprise, she was like, Alison Fargis was like, I love this because I knew I knew that she loved Broadway and I knew that she loved cookbooks because she works in cookbooks. Um, but then she was like, I think I could sell this. And we were off to the races and then yeah. we sold it to Countryman Press. Yes. And then we had to actually start writing the book. Do you yes. remember remember what that felt like? I don't even remember the day we what, sold it. Like like when we sold it? Yeah. Yeah. I uh I think I was on vacation. Um, I think I was on. Uh, it was a. Uh, it was a like great right when things were starting to open up a little bit in the, in the pandemic. And we, my husband is a very is a vacation addict or a travel. Yeah, addict. I'm so, very jealous of your vacations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very fortunate to have married him. Um, yeah. And we were in Anguilla, and that's when it all. Um, I mean, we had taken meetings, but then when everything got finalized, it was there, and I was. So excited. I mean, it's so I think to make something out of nothing, uh, it, it always confounds me that it's possible. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it even from my like from doing it, you and me, but also seeing other people do it, it always like, I don't know. I mean, it's like the art of creation. It just always it's fascinating to me. And then especially something like a book, which I'm holding up again, it, it's tangible. It's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I come from the theater where you obviously you put up a production, but it's ephemeral. But here's something that we created that we can hold and touch and, and share. And it really, it, uh, it, it boggles my mind. And in terms of collaboration, I mean, it's funny because the theater is so collaborative, but writing is a little different because it's like, you, you know, you're putting it on the page and it has your name on it. And it's sort of like, you know, how do you wrestle with that? But I thought you and I collaborated together very well. Why do you think yeah. we worked so well? Can you imagine if I was like, well, actually, I didn't. <laughs> um, no, we really, it was so harmonious. I mean, I think we both kind of had a really clear vision of what it was mm -hmm. and and a very similar voice in in producing it and creating it. I think that was really, really helpful. And I think we had a lot of fun doing it. Oh, yeah. That was the key, and, I think. Was we, we were yeah. really making each other laugh a lot, which I think yeah. is so important. Yeah. And I think me coming from a theater background and obviously liking food and you coming from a food background and liking theater, we had like our, um, you know, main fortes and we were able to meld them really well together. And there was so much, I mean, beyond just the puns of the titles, I mean, I'm just looking right now, like, there was all the fun of like, you know, working on the the subtitles the, and then the head notes. I mean, do you have a favorite head note? I'm trying to find one. Uh, oh, but, um, I, but, 
there's a lot of them that are very good. Well, you always cracked me up because always your first sentence had a lyric from the show. Right. Uh, so like poke the poke horror show uh, is rose tinted beet salad with seared tuna. And your first sentence is, why don't you stay for a night or maybe a bite? I could show you my favorite obsession, fake poke. <laughs> and you always sort of have that like rhythm in the first in the first sentence and it always cracked me up. And that was so funny. Um, I, but like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite? Um, recipe? Uh, no, what is it? Well, yeah. What is your favorite recipe? And what's your favorite um, head note? My favorite recipe is Sunday in the Pork with George, because that was the very first one that I think we came up with. But also it was the first one that I cooked and like right. started to visualize as a recipe, which is the other part of this. You know, it's sort of like you were bringing your theater expertise and knowledge and humor and creativity. And I was trying to bring my own culinary spin on these things. And so with Sunday in the Park with George, uh, what was fun about that, um, by the way, the first sentence, and I'll give you full credit for this, was order, design, tension, composition, balance, light, meatballs. Which <laughs> is <just> so <laughs> funny. <laughs> if only Stephen Sondheim was still alive to hear that. I know. Uh, <clears throat> well, we kept, you know, we kept being like, well, we want to make Stephen proud. We I know. Proud. That was our oh. problem. <laughs> um, but with that one, it was like, the concept was like pointillism because Sunday in the Park with George Park with George is like all about pointillistic painting. So I was like, how do I bring that into a recipe? Um, and then I came up with this idea of like multicolored peppers and, and herbs like in the meatball. So you see flecks of red and yellow and orange and green. And so that was like the to me, that was like the genesis of everything that came after. It was like, OK, like I can take this musical and make a recipe that actually reflects the musical while also maintaining the humor, but also making it delicious. Like it was just really fun. Well, we actually, that was in our proposal too. And I think yeah. that was how we discovered, oh, this is like, not only is it a pun, but it's also how how the recipe uh, engages with the content of the musical. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really where we lift it off. Um, and in terms of the that work that you. we did. Yeah, I mean, but also you would always give feedback in, in terms of like, you know, if I was like, we're going to do X, Y, Z with the food and you'd be like, what if you did X, Y, h that doesn't make sense but you know what i mean <laughs> my favorite uh, letter yes your favorite letter. but but the other parts of this that we both you know brought our uh expertise in was at the end of each recipe is cooking notes and then listening notes and for every musical uh gideon brought some trivia and like really interesting stuff like did you know that when sunday first premiered off broadway it was only one act they only started performing the second act on the last three performances of its run. Like you had, it was an opportunity for you to kind of like dig into these musicals and um, oh, yeah. Yeah. lots of info. Yeah. I mean, it, that was, that was really, it was really neat. I mean, like I'm a big musical theater nerd and so. Oh, I, me too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's how we did this. Um, But like, it, it was incredible to, to learn more. Um, And also like, I guess for me, it's like, oh, if that interests me, I was wondering, okay, would that interest other people too? And so that mm -hmm. was also what was fun is what would be, what what is that? Because also I am the demographic for this. So yeah. that, that and you are the demographic. For oh, this. totally. So I mean, I should, I should say this is a confession, but I've already told you this, that like I would cook and listen to Spring Awakening in the kitchen all the time. Like that was a major <laughs> facet of my life. And I would hear Gideon singing on that soundtrack and I didn't know him at all personally. So to have suddenly like be like making spring awakening with um, Gideon on the phone uh, was really, really cool. And and so musical theater and cooking for me go hand in hand because I literally am always cooking to musicals in my kitchen. 
And um, and so, the, you know, this was like a dream come true in a lot of ways. And then even like to have you now send this book to like some of the theater people you're friends with, it's like it's blowing my mind that like Laura <laughs> Benanti might be reading this someday or, you know, whoever. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And it's really exciting. It's really exciting. I mean, I used to, um, when I cook, I, I, when I got into a really big Bridges of Madison County phase and I, oh, would, yeah. I would put that on and pretend to be an Italian housewife and sing along to Kelly O'Hara and uh -huh. just live my my Italian housewife dreams. I love that musical. I feel like that's an underrated musical. Most people don't know it. I think it's one of the best scores um, in like recent memory. Me too. Yeah. Um, did we do a pun for that one? I don't think we even bothered because it's think not. We did. Yeah, Sorry, we Jason. did do the last five years though. Uh, of yes, course. So Gideon, let's let's do a little um, biography. And uh, as I do with all my guests, because, you know, this isn't just about our book. This is about you. So maybe we can rewind the clock a little. And you could talk a little bit about your relationship to food growing up. And if you grew up in a family with lots of cooking or if you grew up yeah. in a family, uh, you know, where did you grow up? I don't remember. I grew up in a suburb of Philadelphia called Lower Marion. Um, uh Food background is interesting. So my my dad's Swedish, and then his whole family migrated to Israel when he was sixteen. He stayed back um, to finish high school by himself in Sweden. Wow. And then when he graduated, he moved to Israel. My mom is from Ohio, and then um, moved to Israel after high school to go live in a kibbutz. Um, she went to college. She then en ended up going to college in Israel. So did my dad. They met, um, and that I actually think is kind of the the influences of of food that I was brought up with. It was good uh, Midwestern Jewish food. It was mm -hmm. Swedish food, which is kind of interesting. And then <laughs> a lot a lot of Middle Eastern food. And my mom would make lots of Middle Eastern salads and soup. She's a big soup woman. Uh -huh. um, and so th those were my big influences growing up. What kind of soups do you remember? Do you have like favorite soups that your mom would make? Yeah, I mean, her gazpacho was really, really good. Um, she had a chestnut soup that was very good. You wow. know, necessarily uh, Middle Eastern soups, but um, but she was really like we always had soup and a salad for every meal. As, beyond as the... like the entree. Oh wow! So you had like yeah, yeah, real yeah. home cooked meals growing up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, did you were you interested in food and cooking growing up, or was that sort of just like fuel for you as you were? It was more fuel for me. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's interesting because it, it's funny that that uh, we wrote a cookbook because my husband's yeah. really my husband's the chef of the uh, right. of, and he tested a lot of these too. Um, he's a big part of the book. I would say I would say your husband's a big part of the book as well. Oh yeah, yeah. He he got to eat a lot of it, but Craig doesn't cook at all because I don't let him in the kitchen, frankly. So, <laughs> um, so you grew up, uh, and so in terms of like your theater background, for those who don't know the journey there, since this is a Broadway cookbook, we could talk about Broadway. Um, okay. Were you always performing as a kid or like when did, when did the whole dream start yeah. to become a reality? Yeah, well, I started, um, I started singing early and realized like, oh, I can do this. And then it was through singing that I started acting because I was like oh this is a way to sing in public um mm -hmm. and Philly has a really nice regional theater scene and so okay. I started doing that as early as 11 um in like the professional regional theater um so I was a kid actor um and then my big big break came um I did a movie with 
I did a, like this indie movie with Ethan Hawke and Cynthia Nixon when I was 16. Okay. And then, um, which was like a break. And then. What was that called? Uh, it was called One Last Thing. That was my, it was about a, 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 a kid dying of cancer and his last wish is to sleep with this supermodel. And so it was about <laughs> three kids from Philly who then go to New York to, to, to get him laid. Basically. Are you the, are you the one that's dying of cancer? No, I'm, I'm his like goofy friend. Um, I'm going to totally watch this movie. When <laughs> that sounds that so first, good. That was my first film. I mean, it was, uh, uh, but that didn't come out until I started spring awakening. So then I did spring awakening off Broadway and then that movie came out. And so those kind of happened. Wow. So how old were you when, when spring awakening happened? How old were you? I was, uh, I was 17. So I, I graduated high school doing it off Broadway. Um, like I was tutored, by the end like uh i was tutored my the end of senior year i was tutored doing spring awakening and then um on broadway uh i basically deferred for a year from college to to do broadway it's so weird because i was in my 20s when that came out and then craig and i went to go see it off broadway and oh, wow. we saw you and we i remember we sat behind joan allen i remember that was very exciting oh, um amazing. but like it was so exciting that show i mean when when we saw it, it, it really did feel like, oh, my God, we're like witnessing something very important and big and exciting. Um, but I guess from the other end of that, I mean, I watched the documentary on HBO right. Max. But um, in terms of your experience, like was um, what, what did that feel like to be part of something like that? Well, it's funny. It's like when you're 17, you really don't have like an idea that that you're doing something that's special. So I I knew um I knew I really liked the music and I was really mm -hmm. excited. And I was like, oh, there's music that I would, in the same way, I was like, oh, this is a book that I would read. Uh, I was like, this is music <laughs> I would listen to. Like, I would put this on. Um, and so that really, really excited me. Um, and it was, um, but I will say, like, there is this naivete and maybe arrogance as a as a teenager where you're like, well, of course it's going to be like this. Of right. course it's going to be a, a big yeah. hit. Because you've no, you've no idea what kind of anomaly that's going to be. Mm -hmm. So it's only... It's only in later years where you're like, oh, my God. And actually, the documentary was really astounding because that experience of coming together to do a 15 year reunion concert really put that into perspective. We're like, God, we were young. We were yeah. so young. And you were older than like a typical child star because it's like you think about the trauma that like real child stars go through. And it's like, oh, it's like they're not used to rejection. And then it's like they come out of their sitcom or whatever. And it's like, oh, this is much harder than they thought. So. Well, I'm lucky. I mean, I'm lucky that like. Uh, I was 17 when like the big big thing happened and then I also like I'm lucky that like my career my career has had like a a steady pace but a slower yeah. pace and so it's nice there isn't there wasn't like a I've, I've gotten too big for my britches it was, mm -hmm. it was really in that beginning phase where I was like oh I don't know necessarily what I'm doing and yeah. so that it took a while for me to figure that out I mean, I'm still figuring it out but I'm glad that it wasn't um like a a humongous breakout or else I don't, I don't think I would have been able to fuel it. And then you, I mean, you were in that cast with, I mean, all these like quote unquote, like notorious, I don't want to say notorious, but like very famous people that like Leah Michelle, Jonathan Groff, like, and did you have any sense back then that their, their careers and these people would all go in the directions that they all did? I mean, I, we knew people were special, um, but right. I don't think there was a, a sense of like who would pop off or, or not. Um, yeah. I just knew that like everybody's quite talented. Yeah, I mean, it was funny to watch that documentary because it's also like, I feel like I, I 
like was rooting for so I mean just all the different characters in that show like I just feel like I knew them as those characters and it's just funny to like see them again because are are all of them still acting everyone that was in Spring Awakening or some of them I, not I think so I think everyone's oh, okay. still like um at least has a toe in it or you know yeah. or, or doing other things but also acting but I think everybody still has still has the bug and I know that you did Into the Woods um in Central Park was that right after that no no that was um I think that was 2012. Wow. So that was that was a uh, a good amount of time after that. I think I'd already done Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Oh, before. right, right. Uh, so yeah. what was the first thing you did straight out of Spring Awakening? Was it Spider-Man? No. So I left Spring Awakening. I was the first uh, of the original cast members to leave. Um, and uh, I went straight into uh, a play called Speech and Debate, which was oh, a play yeah. that about... Um, and I did college at the same time. So it, they started exactly at the same time. So I left Speech to go and to debate college. Is an and play. amazing play by Stephen Karam, who went on to win the Incredible Pulitzer play. Prize uh, for The Humans, right? Is that what he He's a Pulitzer? Pulitzer finalist, but he did win the Tony Award for The Humans. Oh, Tony Award. Okay. Um, yeah. But Speech and Debate is so funny and weird and like captures that like kind of drama kid thing, but also in a way that's like really kind of. I don't want to say disturbing, but just sort of unexpected and not like the typical like, you know, high school play. I guess. No, I mean, it's it's smart. It's smart. I mean, especially it's themes on it's themes on on hypocrisy and, mm -hmm. you know, obviously using the Salem witch trial, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Stephen's the real deal. So it was cool yeah. to do. Oh, here's my doggy. Um, it's cool <laughs> to do. He's getting uh, he's getting jealous. Um, it was really it was really. What? I feel really lucky that I got to go from Spring Awakening right into a play. Cause again, mm -hmm. so I, I didn't train, um, I, I didn't study acting when I went to school. I also did art history. And so like, it was really nice to be able to kind of like switch gears and, and figure out how to do other stuff. Um, mm. And it's been, I feel really fortunate that I've been able to kind of flip flop back and forth. Cause sometimes people get stuck in one, one Avenue where they're doing just plays or just musicals or just TV, just film. And like, uh, I feel really lucky. So in terms of not studying acting, how, I mean, have you gone on to study acting or did you just sort of instinctually act when you act? I mean, I think a lot of acting is instinct. Um, I have done a little bit of like, um, I've taken like classes here and there, like a scene study class or like a clown class, or uh -huh. a reading class, um, uh, but not having that like formative four years conservatory um, uh, definitely feels like a, a different experience enough than what other actors have had. Yeah, I, I've been watching Barry, which is really funny because it like, yeah, really satirizes that kind of acting right. But that's also very much like LA actors too. Oh like, yeah, true. Like um, later in life, <laughs> you did speech and debate, and then um, and then what came after that? We're so... gonna go through your whole biography here. <laughs> um, after speech and debate, I think I took a little bit of a of an acting break to kind of concentrate on school. Okay, and then I and what think... did you study in school? Like, what was your major? Uh, art history. Oh, so you stayed. Okay, so art history was college. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so then I, um, oh my goodness, going back, back, back. I did. Then I think I did Spider Man. Okay, so that's a story. Um, I mean, for people who are Broadway fans who are listening to this, it's like Spider Man is one of the most, maybe in history, next to Carrie the musical, which was like considered the, one of the most notoriously like disastrous musicals but like spider-man <laughs> at the time i mean if younger people are listening to this who don't know like was like I, I, is the word fiasco right i mean i don't even have to i'm guessing maybe you can't talk about this because you maybe signed lots of contracts <laughs> i signed nothing i mean 
I mean, Spider-Man was a spectacle and then uh, the response to it was quite outsized as well. But, you know, people got hurt and it was um, the the biggest budget of all time. I I still think biggest budget of all time. Um, I was in, I think I made it to like four months of previews, which is unheard of. You do, you do, you know, three to four weeks of previews. Um, And then at that point, um, critics were like, you have to open up the show now. Um, and what they ended up doing was they fired our director, the acclaimed Julie Taymor, and then they wrote out my part. I was a member of uh, the Geek Chorus, like a Greek <laughs> chorus, and we we oh, were the narrators. Funny. It was a fun concept. We were like the yeah. narrators of the show. Um, but when they got rid of Julie, they got rid of us. Um, and so then, um, uh, so then there was like a weird period of time where we were doing Spider-Man 1.0 at night. And our cast was rehearsing Spider-Man 2.0 during the day. Whoa. Uh, oh, it was so crazy. bizarre. And is was... that was Bono there? Like when you were rehearsing? Was he like, Gideon, can you uh, sing a little louder there? Uh, no, he, he wasn't really there. <laughs> <laughs> but he wrote the music, right? He did write the music. That is true. I mean, I saw it with Craig. And I mean, just that image of like Spider-Man swinging over the audience and like, it felt like I was like in Universal Studios or something. It just didn't feel like a Broadway show. It just felt like a theme right. park ride or something, which Did I guess was the point. Did you see the first version or the second? No, I didn't see you. So yeah. I definitely saw the second version. Yeah. Um, I would say in Julie's defense, I think Julie was trying to obviously do a spectacle, but trying to elevate it into like mythos, like trying yeah. to say, oh, these like, like how we come to these Marvels, Marvel stories over and over again. And actually... It was actually quite early. Marvel hadn't really become what it was in, mm-hmm. in terms of its film franchises. But she was saying these are the original, like the myths. These yeah. are our, these are now our current mythologies. And she was yeah, trying to do something really interesting. But unfortunately, that got diluted in the, in the second version. It's funny because as you say that, I actually I mean, an image from that show just came to me, which is like Arachne or whatever, like the yeah. spider, like of like, like, like woman, yeah, yeah, but like the like light, the way she lit it, or I mean, it was something very theatrical about that that mythos of the spider and so sure. i had not thought of that in like 20 years or however many years 15 years <laughs> um okay so fast forward so now i i it's so funny i've been um marathoning the good wife uh because i've watched oh, yeah. all of, i've been watching the good good fight and yeah. i've watched all the good fight without have, ever having seen the good wife right so now i'm going backwards and I, at some point today actually i was like looking googling you just to make sure like i could ask smart questions um but I forgot, I didn't realize you were on The Good Wife, so I haven't gotten to your season yet. But oh, I mean, I did an episode. It was like, yeah, it's not, yeah. But this is all leading to your work in film and television. So, like, when did how did that all start? I guess you started with Cynthia Nixon and Ethan Hawke, but like coming from the theater, like, what were your next projects, and how did that all work? Well, actually, weirdly, after um, Spider-Man, I got a big film called God's Bathing Badly that unfortunately never came out. Um, but this was a movie uh, about Greek gods living in modern day New York. I was Cupid. I was the narrator of the whole film. I thought this was going to be my big, big, big break. Um, it had mm-hmm. like Sharon Stone, Christopher Walken, John Turturro, Felicia Rashad, um, Alicia Silverstone, Nelson Ellis, um, Kathleen Turner, Rosie wow. Perez. I mean, the cast was insane. Edie Falco, Oliver Platt, like really like <laughs> wild. Um, that was wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I had a, a, quite a substantial part and I, I thought that was going to like, be a thing but then it never came out and so that was like <laughs> I mean, this business is you just gotta That's laugh awful um, yeah. yeah 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 um so i was doing that uh like literally right after spider-man and then um and then i kind of started doing 
um, a lot of theater and like a lot of plays. Um, and that's kind of when I started figuring out what I was doing and how mm -hmm. to act. I would say like the, I would say the first play that made me realize um, what I was capable of doing was Sam Hunter's uh, The Few, which is a play that we did at the Old Globe in San Diego. And then we did it at the Rattlestick. And that kind of started, I, it kind of opened me up in the same way that like sometimes people say, oh, there was this class that opened mm -hmm. me up. I realized, oh, what I was capable of doing. That play was was it for me. What was um, it about? I, I know Sam Hunter wrote The Whale, right? Is that Yeah, him? he wrote The Whale. Um, uh, he's, he's written a lot of things, uh, The Harvest, um, Clarkson, Lewiston. Um, uh, the Few is about, it was a, a play with three people and it was about um, a, uh, a paper um, uh, that was made for these long haul truckers. So to kind of, uh, they would get at these different posts and people would write, uh, would write articles and it was kind of a way for them to not feel lonely. And mm. the guy that ran it kind of disappeared. Um, I was this like, you know, awkward gay kid in Idaho. And I like, I found that paper growing up and I fell in love with it. And so I'm trying to keep it going. And then he mm. comes back and then uh wow you know, that, that is very specific like it's really specific. he's who would Sam's ever think really of that specific. i know yeah. he's, he's such a incredible incredible writer um yeah and so that so that kind of like started that and then i would do like kind of guest spots and stuff like that on tv mm -hmm. um uh i did a play called significant other which was oh like yeah kind of and that was play. fantastic yeah it was an incredible play by josh yeah. Harmon that uh that ended up going to broadway which was really really exciting and then um but I would say weirdly during the pandemic is when I mean, I did like film and TV, but during the pandemic is when things started kind of um, uh, popping off with with film and television. So you mentioned um, playing a gay character in Sam Hunter's play. And this kind of circles back because I forgot to ask you about this, but you were 17 in Spring Awakening as a gay character. And then you went on to speech and debate and played a gay character. And so we're, in terms of your personal life, this is like where it gets juicy here on the podcast. Were you, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but you were out when you were very young, right? Like you came yeah, out. Yeah, so I, I came out when I was 12 years old. Um, wow, like, that is um, so young. That is was like, young. Yeah. how did you and even I, know? I just knew, I always kind of knew. Um, and I felt, I was really lucky that I had, um, I had really like, you know, had liberal parents who didn't, uh, they didn't, it wasn't a thing. And so mm -hmm. I had no, I never really grew up with shame attached to it. Um, and I was exposed to lots of things. And my mom works in the media. She's a, she's a professor in, in media. Um, my dad actually is a, a, he's in oral medicine, but his specialty is infectious diseases. And he was dealing with, with, um, with people um, who had AIDS um, and HIV, HIV during the epidemic. And he was kind of spearheading procedures. So wow. they were, they were open to, and, and I, and I inherited that. So I, um, um, I, I feel really lucky in that sense. And how was it in, outside of Philadelphia being out as a 12 year old in whatever era this was? I mean, so that, I guess that was what, that was like early aughts. Um, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, I got bullied a little bit, but I think everyone gets bullied a little bit. And so I didn't feel like <laughs> outsized. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the only thing is that it, I, it was like a little lonely and like, it would have mm -hmm. been nice to have other other gay kids around but but that was really it but the fact that I was doing theater in Philly mm -hmm. for, with a and it was professional so there was a lot of adults there who were gay I, I felt like oh I, I'm seeing people and I'm, I'm seeing role models and so forth 
so when you got to Spring Awakening, it was like a gay bonanza, right? It was like, well, like I'm, I'm trying to think like who was gay in the cast. Maybe no, not it that many people. Because yeah. Jonathan wasn't out at that point. And right. uh, there was an understudy, Robbie, who wasn't out at that point. Um, so I was the only gay cast member. Wow, that's so weird. I, I, for some reason, thought of it as like, a you know, the show itself feels very gay to me. But maybe yeah. that's just because there's a gay storyline, but it's not. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the creators, uh, we have we have gay men like in the creative team. But that but yeah. that was it. Yeah. Uh, Weirdly, it's strange. Like I, I was thinking about like I did I did To Kill a Mockingbird. I was the only gay member of the cast, gay male member of the cast. And I was trying to think of other things like other play, speech and debate, only gay member. Of the Wait, field, what? You member. were the only gay member of speech and debate? Yeah, I mean, speech and debate also was a four person play. So uh, like it's not wow. big. Mockingbird is a really big play. And so that. Um, yeah. And we didn't yeah. talk about that. You were nominated for a Tony for that. That's so cool. Oh, for Mockingbird. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. That's amazing. So can you talk, tell us about that? Because that must have been very exciting. Oh, yeah, that was a dream come true. I mean, but, you know, I grew up watching the Tonys. Um, like that yeah. Was, uh, well, for <laughs> those those who don't know about that production, it was written by, um, what's his name from? Uh, no, it was like, Aaron Sorkin. Aaron yeah. Sorkin, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or adapted by Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. And directed, was it directed by Aaron Sorkin too? No, Bart Shear directed it. Oh, wow. Okay, so Bart Shear. Yeah. And then yeah. it had Jeff Daniels. As Atticus and, and Atticus. Kim Bolger as a scout. Um, and you were playing um, Jem, not Jem. Um, I played wait. Dill. So Dill. In this, yeah, in this one, uh, we they had three adults or mature people playing the three kids, and we would kind of vacillate between our adult selves, looking mm -hmm. back and narrating, and then the kid self. Um, uh, and it was kind of told through our eyes, mainly Scout, but also us too. Um, uh, it was it was an interesting concept. And in in that concept, like your character, because that character was based on Truman Capote, right? Like in the original yeah. book. So, so they did, grew up together, which is so insane. Um, yeah. I mean, what's her name? Harper Lee and Harper Lee. Cooper, yeah. Truman Capote grew up together. Yeah, and they were friends. Yeah, right? in a really really small town called Monroeville, Alabama. Um, Truman would come in a, and spend the summers there. Um, and and Dill was a young Truman Capote and Scout was a young Harper Lee. And what was really interesting to me was that like Harper Lee, I, she never came out, but she, for all intents and purposes, she was a lesbian and here's mm. a gay kid. And here's this great American novel that everybody is reading. And it's mm -hmm. about a relationship. I mean, it's about a lot of things, but one of the main relationships is a young lesbian and a young gay boy. Yeah. And that was that was like the opener for me to kind of figure out what I was doing in that play. And did you study Truman Capote to prepare for that character? I mean, I, I read a lot about him, but I didn't, I, I was not trying to emulate right. his speaking patterns or I was trying to, I didn't want that because then it would have, I, I would have felt really stuck and not free to kind of make him, because he was Dill, he's not Truman, even though he's based yeah. off Truman, but I would take from his life and so forth. Well, I'm going to bring this back to food now, but that was really <laughs> fun for the theater geek in me. But actually, I'll do like a segue, which will be have I'm sure like in your many years of working in the theater, you've been invited to some luminaries or like divas or um, Broadway stars homes who've cooked for you. I mean, does any does any I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever asked you this before, but is there like any like Broadway person who you think of as being a particularly good cook? Not that I can like think of. Like, really, Patty Lapone never made you like matzo ball soup or anything. 
sadly not. <laughs> um, maybe one day if I if I keep my fingers crossed. Um, but no, I don't think I've ever really had like a like a. I, I mean, my friends cook, you know, but like I've never had like a big Broadway star make me make me a meal. Really? Like even these productions though, like you mean like Jeff Daniels was, had never said like, "Hey guys, come over to my house. I'm gonna fry you up some chicken." No. <laughs> no. It no. seems like theater is all about community and like hanging out and bonding. I mean, we did like uh, we had a really we had a um, uh, an actress, Liv Ruth, in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, who is a um, is it a fromagere? Is that what you, how you pronounce it? Like a cheese, oh, a cheese expert. Yeah, she's a cheese expert, and so she, we would do these. Um, we would all like pitch in, and then we would do these like cheese and cracker. Um, moments throughout the uh, throughout the production, which was really nice, but um, but no cooked meals. I'm sorry. Well, let's get let's get into the real of eating and acting because I've always wondered, as a yeah. fan of the Broadway theater, um, yeah. do actors tend like for like like you have a two o'clock matinee on a Wednesday, you have an eight o'clock show on a Wednesday. I mean, when and how and where are you eating and like? Do you eat a lot? Do you eat a little? Do you drink a smoothie? What do you do? That's a good, that's a good question. Um, I get, I can be really, uh, I can get a little, uh, my stomach is a little finicky, um, especially when nerves are involved. Um, mm-hmm. And in the long run, your nerves go away. But um, but you don't want to eat something that's so irregular that you're on stage and you're dealing with that. And so yeah. I typically like to eat um, two hours before a show. Um and depending on the, the the show and where you are, uh, I mean, unfortunately, I I eat out a lot and or order in a lot, and so mm-hmm. um, and I say unfortunately because mostly my husband's upset about it. But um, <laughs> right, I uh, sounds good to me. It sounds very glamorous. Like you're, <laughs> you're sitting at Sardi's like... with your martini and your cigarette, <laughs> eating your you know pate yeah. and crout. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> For me, it's like a poke bowl or something. I'd like like right. a, a nice protein on a rice, like something that really will fill you up um, and fuel you up and but not something too heavy. That's always kind of the balance you're trying to you're trying to strike. And you're also trying to stay. I mean, I imagine for some of these shows that you're trying to stay in shape and you're trying to stay, you know, slim or whatever you're whatever you're going for, for the character. <laughs> but being an well, actor, I imagine yeah. you want to look good, so you're not. Yeah, like weirdly, when I when I'm act, when I when I'm in a long run, I, I tend to and I eat a lot. I, I think the output of energy, I I tend to lose weight, which is not mm. something I like. Um, I like to because I don't like getting too too skinny because right. Um, not a bad problem i'm not bragging but it, uh, i don't like to lose as much weight as i lose right. um, you want to bulk so, up yeah or, or just maintain i mean mm-hmm. like there was a time where i was doing at the end of mockingbird i was rehearsing for little shop of horrors and i had oh, one day yeah. i had one day in between so i ended mockingbird had a day off and then i went right into little shop of horrors for first of it was for two weeks and then a, then a month or two later i went in for two months um but rehearsing that during the day and doing Mockingbird at night, I just, I was, I was wasting away. Um, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then there's also like, I'm so hungry after a show, but you also don't want to eat too much after a show because then you won't go to sleep, mm. but you just kind of have to accept it and just know that you become a night owl. And when you're doing a Broadway play or a musical or whatever, um, are there like the secret watering holes in Broadway? I mean, I know about Bar Centrale, which is, 
above yeah. Joe Allen, which Craig and I yeah. discovered. And it's, it's one of my favorite places in New York because you have to call ahead. It's unmarked. And we, yes. we, we've gone up there before and seen like Lori Metcalf and we've seen Nathan Lane. Oh, yeah. And so, but like, what are some of the places you'll go after a show to hang out? Or is this a secret? <laughs> um, I mean, it's been a while since I've done a show. It's been like, uh, I think it was 2019, but- That's not uh, that so, long ago. That's three I guess, years. but things, you know, things change. And also a lot of things shut down during the pandemic. And um, I would say Bar Centrale is a big one. Um, and Sardis actually ended up being a kind of, kind of, um, Joe Mantello was, who's this wonderful director, was um, an actor, um, started like a night where he was trying to get people to kind of come to Sardis after their shows and kind of rein, reinvigorate Sardis in that way. Because Sardis mm-hmm. is, I mean, Sardis is, Sardis is glamorous, but it, it, it's an old school glamour. And so oh, yeah. And for those who know. don't know, if you've seen Muppets Take Manhattan, that's the, the place where Kermit goes in disguise and takes down Liza Minnelli's picture off the wall <laughs> and puts his own picture up. That's, that's how I know it. I've actually never been there, crazy enough. Oh, really? Yeah, I should well, go. That'd be really fun. Actually, that, this is a cute story about our friendship. So Gideon and I followed each other on Twitter, and that's yeah. how we started our friendship. And yeah. I think we became friends before we started the book because when I came to New York and we were going to meet up, I, I Gideon made the reservation, and it was very cute because you picked the Russian tea room, yeah. which in a million years, like I would never have thought of that. I'm like the kind of person that's like reading Eater New York and like, what's the hot new, like, hidden away Brooklyn gem and then the Russian tea room was like oh like I I just would never have thought to go there and we went there and it was so much fun and we had borscht and we had like all kinds of Russian things and it was really like it looked exactly I imagine how it looked like 50 years ago so yeah that was our first uh get together and then um and then we stayed in touch but then we did we actually had a couple meals after that we went to this really speaking of my own tendency to go to trendy places I picked a place that was like a French spot that we went to with Craig in the West Village that was uh-huh. so tiny and so loud. I feel like we couldn't hear a word and the, like the food was fine. And I was like, oh, I regretted that choice. Well, the best meal I had was at your your house. And oh, stop it. You flatter me. Um, well, we're in the final stretch of this podcast. So I think we should get back into the book a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And um, and maybe like tell some stories of working on these recipes. I mean, I was trying to remember like, because you, I mean, to, for the, those who want to understand our process, I would say our process was coming up with the puns first, right? Mm-hmm. We came up with all the puns, then we culled it down. And then we, um, what do we do? Then we organize them, right? Like, we're like, this is an appetizer. Like, we need more entrees. We need more desserts. We need, you know. And then I started cook, doing some of the recipes. But then you you guys would make the recipe too. So that was always fun because like I was like, it was like a game of telephone. I was like trying to tell them like no 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 like you know use don't use curly parsley <laughs> use flat leaf parsley but do you remember the first thing that you guys made from the book I'm trying to think what it was i i know i attempted selling the pork with george and you don't um, eat meat so you used impossible meat which kind of yeah, worked yeah. right yeah it did work and then um and then what else it might have been was Chicken Breast Side Story the first? No, I don't think it was. Yeah, the first that was one. early on because that was in it's our in the early on. Chicken Breast Side Story is my is my favorite, I think, too. It's just it's so flavorful. And, and oh, good. really? It's yeah. basically chicken, rice, and plantains, and um, and actually, uh, Ileana. Oh my God, I'm Masonette, who's a Puerto Rican food writer who has a new cookbook coming out at the same time called Diasporican. Oh, cool. Consult consulted on that recipe because I had rice that had cilantro and lime and and Ileana said that I should have saison seasoning instead which I guess 
is a Puerto Rican spice. So yeah, that's right. one that I'm very, I feel good about. Yeah. Um, well, I think the recipe I'm most proud of actually, because I was just flipping through this, is actually the Wicked recipe, which is Wicked Doodles. Which, which I Snicker actually have not tried yet. Oh, we got to make it. And so it's Snickerdoodles with alphabet green matcha. And it has, uh, yeah, like matcha powder, which turns it turns the snickerdoodles green, but then it also yeah. has food coloring, which makes, makes them really green. But I had to write a little um, note to parents in here because I made this at night and matcha has caffeine. And so I was like buzzed for like three hours afterwards. So if you give this to your kids, either use decaffeinated matcha. Um, well, you could well, have also been very excited about the success of the recipe. Yeah, I was. I mean, it's a great recipe. It's actually, I think it's one of the best ones from the book because it's like, who would think to add matcha powder to snickerdoodles, but it, it makes yeah. it kind of deeper and more complex and turns it green. <laughs> so Gideon, are you going to go to like every bookstore in New York and like look for the book when it comes out? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting. It was it was only until yesterday that it all kind of became real to me. I'll be honest. Like it's oh, yeah. like, until I had it physically in my hand. I was like, oh, this is this is a possibility. I also just think it really is. I'm just so delighted by it. And so yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I would, I, I would be thrilled to see it in all the bookstores. Well, you know what I used to do when my book first book came out, I would go to the bookstores and if my book was buried in the back, I would yeah. pull out all the copies and then switch out from the very front of the store. If they had like a John Grisham book or something, I would like really? move, move that and then put my, oh yeah, of course You're you gotta, funny. you gotta have chutzpah in this industry. But one thing we didn't talk about yet, which is probably one of the most important parts of this book are the illustrations, yes. which are by Justin Squiggs Robertson, which was such a fun part of this process. Do you want to talk about Squiggs? Cause you, yeah. You, so you his Squeaks, work. Yeah. Yeah. So Squiggs, um, uh, Squeaks is from the Broadway community. He uh, he's an actor, um, but his big big uh, uh, claim to fame is these incredible illustrations. And what he would do is uh, every season um, he does an illustration for each um, for each show that comes out. And then beyond that, he started doing these uh, really fun trading cards uh, where he'll do illustrations of actors from shows of each season and so forth. And so. When I'm at the stage door, I actually get a lot of my cards and uh -huh. people ask me to sign them. And it's a really little ingenious idea. Um, and they're really, he's really clever and very playful. And when we were talking about what to do for this book, we, you know, a lot of cookbooks typically have photos. And I think we wanted something more fun and, and again, playful. And so Squigs really was the first, was the first person we asked. Um, yeah. He, it, we didn't really have a conception beyond him. He seemed so perfect and ideal for it. And uh, it turned out so good. And he was so smart. He had like a real philosophy about what the rules were for these illustrations. Because like his philosophy was that it's only the ingredients that he illustrates. So it's not the finished recipe. Right. So like uh, Spring Awakening, which is a stir-fried vegetables with totally plucked chicken. Which I think um, is very funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he drew uh, asparagus stalks as the Spring Awakening students, and then the teacher is a chicken holding a a stick to spank yeah. them with. But oh. it's like it's really fun, and and it's I think the illustrations are as important a part of this book as the text and the oh, recipes. Sure. So, oh, sure. um, and I'm really excited. Well, Gideon, did we cover everything? Is there anything else that we've left out of this wonderful journey through? The cookbook um, writing process? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. 
I know you're going to yell at me about this, so we can cut this part out, but you don't like to sing, do you, in public? No, I don't, I don't. But if you were going to sing one of these recipes, which one, which one, like, would be the most fun to sing? What do you mean? Like, what, in terms of what? Like, sing? if you were to sing, like, Pinto the Woods as, like, the opening number of Pinto the Woods, or, like, Man of La Nachos, like, instead of Man of La Mancha. Um, um, or the ballad of Weenie Todd. Well, I know a little chop of horrors pretty well at this. Point. Yeah, yeah, you could sing that, but no, we're not gonna put you on the spot because you you get paid a lot of money for that, and I'm not paying you anything. <laughs> but if you want to hear Gideon sing this these songs, uh, buy this book and then approach him on the street and ask him to sign it and sing <laughs> something for you. Uh, <laughs> all right, Gideon. Well, thanks for talking. Let's let's. Uh, oh, yeah, we should tell everyone that at some point, I think, I believe, we are doing an event in new york i mean it's yes. hard to say what it is because we don't know yet but yes. keep your eyes and ears peeled for this information i think it will be at the drama bookshop um mm -hmm. in new york and we'll be signing copies of the book so yes um, and the book comes out october 4th um yes. but you can pre-order now uh, at any major or small bookstore yes please pre-order it because it actually helps the sales of the book if you can pre-order it now it's like a snowball rolling down a hill so pre-order and let us know and tag us gideon is at Gid gid glick is that right yes gid yes, glick yes. at instagram and twitter and i'm at amateur gourmet all right gideon well it was fun writing a cookbook with you let's do it again sometime likewise bye adam all right bye all right, thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to order our cookbook, Give My Swiss Shards to Broadway, wherever you buy books, and tag us on Instagram when it comes. I'm at Amateur Gourmet and Gideon's at Gid Glick. We'll see you back here next week. Take care. Bye.